Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. Show of hands, how many of your coupon clippers? Coupon clippers. Here's a uh, rest of you that didn't raise your hands are liars. Here's a, here's a coupon for $10 off, $30 at Bed Bath & Beyond. 30, 30% coupon is a pretty good coupon. Sometimes you can get a buy one, get one free, uh, or even sometimes more uh, than that, 75% off. I've seen those kind of coupons before. But you know, a coupon is useless in your purse. It does no good until you lay it on the counter with that $30 purchase to get the $10 off. Until it's redeemed, the coupon is no good. And I wonder sometimes if we live like we are coupon-filled believers, yet never lay them on the table to redeem the coupon. Never, never capitalize on the power of redemption in our life to see what it has done, what it's doing, and what it will do in our lives. And so this, I want us to get a, a clear picture today of redemption. If you want to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, where our text is today. I want us to get a clear picture of redemption in terms of what I've been redeemed from, what I've been redeemed for, what I've been redeemed to. And uh, then we'll share together in the Lord's table here as a, uh, as a picture, a, a clear, tangible picture of what redemption looks like for us. First Peter chapter 1, verses 17 to 25. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Four things I want us to see today from this text. First is this is that the redeemed know their identity. The redeemed know their identity. Look at verse 17 again. It says, since you call on the Father who judges these persons working partially, live out your time here, watch this, as strangers here in reverent fear. Strangers, he uses the word. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at, um, at this idea of, of, in chapter 1, verse 1, to God's elect strangers in the world, aliens, as it were, more or less, as we talked about. I think the idea there is, he's saying, act like foreigners who know where they're going. Act like foreigners who aren't from here, but yet who have an idea of what's around the corner. I remember uh, hiking with a couple of high school friends, both in, in high school and, and out of high school, college age, on the Appalachian Trail one time, and we ran into some folks from North Carolina who asked, 
can you guys tell us how to get to Charlie's Bunyan? We said, Charlie's Bunyan? What, what's a Charlie's Bunyan? That's a great hike. It's, it's very scenic. It's supposed to have 360-degree views all the way around. Can you guys tell us, are you from here? Yeah. Can you tell us how to get there? We've never heard of the place. So we have to send them back to the ranger station to get, get directions to Charlie's Bunyan. Well, needless to say, the next hike we took together, the three of us, was to Charlie's Bunyan. And it was spectacular. I mean, you walk out there, and it's just, as far as you can see in any direction, you, you feel like you're on top of the world. In fact, my friend's hat blew off, and he started to reach for it. It's like a cliff straight down. He started to reach for it, and me, me and my buddy grabbed his belt. Just let the hat go this time. Let's, let's get you another hat. But it, it, it is spectacular view. But we were from here and didn't know what was going on. It, was it took the strangers from someplace else to point out to us, you never heard of Charlie's Bunyan. You've never been there. They knew more about our land and, and, and the Smoky certainly than we did, and we live here. But this idea that I'm, I'm from someplace else, but I'm on a mission, I think is what he's trying to c convey here. In essence, I'm not moving in. I'm not putting down roots here because my identity and my roots are someplace else, but I have a task here. I, I have, have a mission here that I need to complete. Now, one word of caution that I want to mention to you today, and that's, that's this, is don't let this mindset of identity, of who we are in Christ, take the next step into us becoming aloof and unapproachable. We need to be approachable. We need to be accessible. We need to be identifiable. We need to be um, to others. As Paul said, I'm all things to all men that I'm not by all means win some or save some. We need to, we need to make uh, easier connections with folks and not be aloof just because our identity is not from here. Jesus was the, the embodiment of holiness. We talked about holiness a couple of weeks ago. He was a full embodiment of holiness, which, as we talked about, means different, set apart, sanctified. He was totally different and was totally holy, yet was totally accessible at the same time and totally approachable at the same time. He is our model to follow. He was, could have been very intimidating, but was more magnetic than he was intimidating. He wasn't off-putting at all, drew people to himself, all kinds of folks to himself, uh, mainly folks that were without, but, but uh, drew all folks to himself. He knew everything about everything, but never came across as arrogant. Now think through that with me. He was God in flesh, knew everything about everything, but never came across as arrogant, never, never came across as, as aloof. Uh, it's, it's this idea of our identity being wrapped up in him, and all he is is at our disposal. Of course, of course subject to his will for us, but at our disposal. Romans 8, verses 38 and 39 says this, For I'm convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's exactly what he's talking about here. He says, as strangers here, you're strangers to here, not to me. You're not strangers to me. You're blood kin to me, but you're strangers in this place because your identity is wrapped up in me. And he said that connection is something that can never be severed. That's an inseparable bond. Redeemed know their identity. Secondly, the redeemed understand their value. Look at verses 18 and 19 with me. It says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. You know that it was not with perishable things. Silver and gold both have a breaking point. If you apply enough heat to them, they'll break down. What he's saying there is that these are not the kinds of things that you've been purchased with. You've been purchased with something much deeper than that that can take far more heat than that. In fact, here's a quick story from Daniel chapter 3 that I'm sure you're familiar, uh, familiar with and you've heard. 
Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace was so hot that the flames and fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. The king, Nebuchadnezzar, leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men tied up and, th and thrown into the furnace? They said, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. What is it saying? It's saying Jesus was in, in the fiery furnace with them because <clears throat> he can take, can take the heat. Whatever heat comes up in your life, he can take it. He can help you navigate the heat, the pressure that's turned up on you because he's been there before. He can take it. shouldn't matter to much, uh, how much the enemy turns up the heat or the pressure with us if we know we're his and we're walking with him hand in hand. We can walk through and come out on the other side. He's saying here, you have imperishable value to me. It's, it's far greater than silver or gold. It's imperishable. We were transformed at salvation, he's saying here in essence, with eternal components, gutted more or less, and, and new spiritual components put in. Immortals in a mortal world, immortals in a mortal place, we, we find ourselves. Uh, that, that transformation is, with, is what the blood of Jesus does that we just sang about. And that salvation there was a spiritual transfusion that occurred at salvation and you were transformed with, with that transfusion and your soul was transformed from this place to an eternal place, to eternity. I want you to see how much you're valued by God. He values you to the extent that he gave his son, the Lord Jesus, his, his life on the cross to redeem us and draw us to himself and reminds us here again and daily of that value. You're far more, uh, more precious than silver and gold. The redeemed understand their value of the identity. Thirdly, the redeemed know how to love well. They know how to love well. Look, verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you're, you have a sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Now that you've purified yourselves, now that you have, have in essence received and experienced the love of God. Remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about from John 4 that it's impossible to know and experience love apart from God because God is love. He is the definition of love. And so we can have affection, we can have all kinds of feelings, but it isn't really truly love until we know God and can share that with one another, certainly as believers. He's saying now that you've received that and you've experienced that, you understand what real love is and you're capable then of loving someone else. So how do we do that? Two ways here he talks about it in this verse, deeply and from the heart. What is he talking about? Deeply meaning something that requires a sustained sacrifice. Not just we're willing to give ourselves up for someone else once, but again and again and again. That's a picture of his deep love for us. <clears throat> again and again and again, he sacrifices for us and, and, and protects us by way of his blood deeply, a sustained, a sustained sacrifice. From the heart, he's talking about here, with no pretense, no, no ulterior motive, uh, no sense of what's coming back to me in return, that I'll love regardless of whether it's returned to me or not. My love is from the heart. It is real. It is genuine. It is transparent. Now, Peter makes this association between love and purity in this verse. I think he does that 
because he wants us to see that too, is that it's easier to love from a pure heart than it is one that's, that's got ulterior motives to it, one that's wanting to receive something in return, one that's wanting to get credit for the love in return. He says, love from a pure heart. Uh, love in our culture is totally opposite from that. It's selfish, it's self-consumed, it's shallow. Listen to John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, watch, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He's calling us here to something deeper than just this phileo, just this, just this mild affection for each other, calling us to love better, to love well. Uh, John, uh, these are parting words here that, that were shared together at the Last Supper around the Lord's table. And he's saying there to these 12 or 11 at the time, do this well, love well. If you don't do anything else well, love well. They're going to know your mind by the way you love each other. Those were, those were some of his last words to them, and those parting words were to them and should be to us power, a powerful message. The redeemed know how to love well, understand their value, know their identity. Finally, the redeemed are rooted in the word. Look at verses 23 and 25, 24. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall. Watch this. But the word of the Lord endures forever. He uses two descriptors here about the word. He says it's living and enduring. Through the living and enduring word of God. What's he talking about? Living in the sense that it is, it is ever relevant. It's always relevant. In the sense that it's always true. That it's always accurate. That it's always applicable. He's saying it is, it is an ever relevant book. And it is. It's amazing to me. As old as, as this book is, the more I stick my nose in it, the more I understand, and it's talking about today. That's talking about, the, and some of this is talking about tomorrow. It is an ever relevant, always applicable, always true book. It is enduring, he says here as well, in the sense that the world was created by God, the world is sustained by God, and the world will be destroyed and a new heaven and earth created by God. How do we know all that? We know that by looking at this, what this book says to us about those things, that his word creates us, sustains us, and will take life and return it to us as well. So why do believers share together at the Lord's table? Because it's a picture of those very things. It's a picture of that kind of love, of a love that, that was centered around the word of God. And he tells them at the table, do this to remember me. Remember my death until I return to you, until I come back. And that's, that's why we share together around the Lord's table when we do. Uh, this idea of remembering his death was not an option. It was a command to say, remember this. Hang on to this because it's, it, it is significant to you, to your faith, to the faith of all the, uh, the bride of Christ, to all the church. Uh, in fact, we have nothing to offer apart from the shed blood of Christ of any value, really. Nothing to offer apart from the shed blood of Christ. And we know that. We know that's true because Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Why is that a powerful message? Because we need to get it and understand that everything we believe and practice and do and how we love comes from how this book says to do it, or it should. It should be our guide, and it is. It should be our, our, our mantra and, and the mantle we carry with us, and it should be because it, it all points back to the blood of Christ, his sacrifice for us. Now, I want to leave you with this, this challenge and this charge. 
Psalm 107, verse 2 says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Another more more, uh, translation says, it's time for the redeemed of the Lord to speak up and be heard. And if there ever was a time in our world where the redeemed of the Lord need to say so, it's today. We need to say so. We need to to give words to our faith, give words to our affection for him, uh, give words to our love for him. That needs to, to grow out of not just the cracks of who we are, as I say oftentimes, but it needs to be intentional. We need to start to look for opportunities to share and verbalize our faith to others because it's great to model that to them, but sooner or later, somebody's got to tell them about Jesus. It's great to model a Christ-like example in front of them, but sooner or later, somebody's got to say, you know what? You got to pray to receive him as your savior for this to happen in your life, for him to redeem your sins and forgive your sins and redeem your soul. It is inescapable truth that can be lived but also needs to be shared and verbalized. I hope as we share together in the Lord's table here uh, that you remember those things. You remember his his shed blood for you. You remember his body given for you. You you remember the daily sacrifice that's being made for you. He loves you deeply. He loves you with an enduring love, loves you sacrificially over and over and over again. And this is a great picture of that that we'll celebrate today. Let's pray together. Father, as we approach your table, as we come here today to to worship you by remembering your shed blood on the cross for our sins, would we today see this place and this example and this model of worship as something that is not just for us, but needs to be through us, that we we need to live out and walk out the truths of what your blood has done to cleanse us and what your example has done modeling for us to live that out in, in, in relevant ways in front of others. Now, would we approach this place and this scene in your table today with great humility, knowing that we are worthless apart from you, apart from the blood of Christ applied to our sin? Would we also approach this table today with grateful hearts, knowing that you have died on a cross to forgive me of my sin? Thank you for this, these reminders, the relevant truth today that we've heard from your word and, the, and now that we're going to share together in your table. So as we, as we share together in this place and leave this place with this message on our hearts, would we look forward to next week? Because the end isn't Jesus dead on the cross. The end is far more victorious than that. But victory is ours because of the blood of Christ on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Cross Point Church helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ. 